Coming up on Abounding Grace, why Jesus was born. The birth of Jesus was for the death of Jesus. The incarnation of Jesus was for the atonement, to bring you at one with God. Jesus was born to die so that we might live, so that we would enjoy friendship with God. Some of the best relationships that we enjoy on the earth is friendship. You know, a real friend that you can tell the truth to, and they'll tell you the truth, that you can open your heart to, one that you'll be walking through things thick and thin. A brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. God wants to be at peace with you. Jesus was born to bring peace, but before you can enjoy the peace of God, you must surrender to the God of peace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Merry Christmas and welcome again to Abounding Grace. What a joy and a real delight to share a portion of this special day with you. And today, Pastor Ed Taylor will share a message centered around this question, why was Jesus born? So if you're ready, turn with us to Luke chapter 19 and we'll get started. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, that's one of the places we'll be. We'll be in John 10 as well in a Bible study that I've entitled, Why Was Jesus Born? Now, of course, we're around the Christmas holidays, and it's definitely, obviously Christmas time. Lights are on the houses. In our neighborhood, they're putting lights up on the, to the tippy top of the trees. Manger scenes are out. Cookies and brownies and families and fun. It's everywhere. And Christmas songs start to play. Everywhere, the malls, the shopping markets, the, in our homes. I mean, isn't it great? You just have to love hearing the name of Jesus being sung just about everywhere you go. Amen to that? It's awesome. Whether you believe in God, really believe in Jesus or not, whether you believe in God or not, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed on many, many lips. But of course, with Christmas songs, that also means you're going to hear about old St. Nick and I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. And then grandma, she got run over by a... Every year, you would think she would learn by now. that The reindeer's coming and she needs to get out of the way. Elvis belting out his blue Christmas. But hey, you got to learn to take the good with the bad around this time. And we know that dreaming of a white Christmas, we now as a church understand what a real white Christmas is, Right? It's not snow on the ground. A real white Christmas is on the 25th of December. There is snow falling. And don't tell anyone, but sometimes just around Christmas time, just a little bit, I happen to sort of kind of like the snow around Christmas. It does change things, but don't tell anyone, all right? There's something great and something exciting and something wonderful about Christmas. It just bring, tends to bring out the best in most people. There's a tendency toward peace and joy and happiness. And for good reason. As the Bible declares, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. 
And he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heaven's armies will make this happen. And so as people get together and happiness starts to flow, there's a thrill of hope in the air. A thrill of hope. Like we just sang, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks in a new and glorious morn. You see, you came out today. You grab a parking space, come a little early. You begin to hear the festive music. You see everyone dressed up in various colors. You hear the hum of the room. You see the smiles. You see people reconnecting and greeting. And, and you, get against, you start to get a sense when you walk into a room like this, filled with men and women, boys and girls that are following Jesus, you get a sense that there's happiness, that there's a change or a difference here. Why? Because we are happy. We're very happy. As the Bible says, happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So yes, we're happy. And we're encouraged as we begin to reflect, as followers of Jesus Christ, we begin to reflect of how it all began. The birth of the Savior, God wrapped up in human flesh. Yes. Sure, outside of these walls, I'm sure there are still people fighting at Walmart over a $15 television, I'm sure. People fighting for parking spaces, people upset, people fighting for who knows what reasons, and yet they're doing so in the midst of so much more festive joy that's among us. I know it's not always super festive and happy this time of year. I, I know that great difficulty sits in this room right now, in the hearts and the minds of many of you. You look to the happiness and the festivity around you, and you're not so excited to be involved. You're not so excited to, to get involved. I mean, some of you are here by choice. Some of you are here sort of unwilling, and you can think of a thousand other things you'd rather be doing than listening to a guy talk about God. And, and then when it comes to the to the time of the holidays, you know, the holidays just tend to be a more difficult time for you than any other time of the year. You've experienced great loss. You've experienced great pain. I know that whether you're here in the room with us or you're listening live on the radio or watching online somewhere, pain touches all of our lives and difficulties. If you haven't already experienced, you will soon enough. And what that does, what pain does, is it leads to a lot of different questions Questions that are in this room right now, that if we were to hand out little pieces of paper and pencils, you would write down those questions and you would say things like, why? Why did God allow this? And why didn't God stop that? And here you are all festive and all singing, but where's the reality, pastor? Where's the reality? There seems to be a disconnect between the happiness of the room and the difficulty in my life. So why, why, are, you, why are you so encouraged? Why are you so happy? Maybe some of you might be thinking right now, you know, why are you so fake, Pastor? Why don't you just be real? You know, the good news for me is that I'm as real as I possibly can be in whatever moment I walk up onto the stage. That's just how I've chosen to live my life. The good, the bad. The happy, the sad. 
And while I haven't walked you even a mile, not even a few steps in your shoes, there's one thing that's very common in this room, and that's pain and difficulty. And one thing that's very common in this room is that we're all asking questions, and most of them surround the why. I've had the privilege of being here in Colorado now for 20 years. Our church just celebrated a 20-year anniversary, and, and I've had a lot of opportunity to talk to people. And you know what most, most of the catalysts of someone calling the church here, someone emailing me, someone reaching out, most of the time the catalyst is a pain point in someone's life. Where they're wanting to have direction and help. They want insight. What do I do and how do I do this and what's going on and how do I handle this and what am I supposed to do and on and on. And many times the conversations that have led between you and me, the reason why you're even listening to a Bible study is because God has taken a situation and he's used it to get your attention so that your attention will be toward God. So that if you did write everything out and I had a basket up here and I began to really read them one by one, a couple of things would, would be obvious. Number one, the room is filled with common pain. And number two, I don't have the answer for you. And that can be disappointing and discouraging for people. I don't have the answer to those why questions. I don't know why God allowed. I don't. And I don't know why God let. And I don't know why God is even allowing you to continue in your sinful behavior, knowing full well that you're going to hurt yourself. And you're, I don't know why. I don't know. I wouldn't even attempt to try to explain the whys of God because I don't know the whys of God. But I do know this, those who have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, there is purpose in the pain. Even though it's not fully revealed, there is always purpose in everything that happens in the life of a believer. So that for you, by faith in Jesus, you can say today that God, I know my God and he works all things together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And while I don't see how this piece is going to fit like a puzzle, like a thousand piece puzzle, and you got that one, I don't see how this piece is going to fit. Over time, it'll fit. And I'll see just where, it put, just where it belongs. I want you to consider just for a moment as you are listening to me, I want you to consider this. I, I want you to consider the pain that follows people in the Bible. Let's just say in the Christmas story, in the Christmas story, Joseph is betrothed, or what we would call today, engaged to a woman, to a young woman, probably in her late teens, to be married. For the Jewish man to be betrothed was just as good as being married. It was one of the pieces of the steps of until that day of consummation where they would know each other intimately on their, married, on their marriage day. They were committed to one another, monogamous, no one else for the rest of their lives. They were following through with God's will, one man, one woman, one lifetime. That was marriage, that is marriage. And they were living that in the Jewish culture. I want you to consider for a second Joseph having a conversation with his betrothed, engaged woman named Mary. And Mary had some news to break to Joseph. And here's the news. Joseph, I'm pregnant. How does he feel? He knows. He knows that that's an impossibility considering Joseph and Mary. They've never been together. That's an impossibility. How does he feel? when he considers the impossibility of what she's saying to him, that that child within his betrothed wife's womb is not from him. Now, her answer was, you know, you can imagine that conversation. Joseph said, well, what, what happened? Oh, it was God. Oh, it was God. Yeah. 
it was God. The Bible gives us enough to know about Joseph that he was an honorable man and he was going to take care of Mary and set her aside privately. But that moment in his life, I'm sure, wrecked him. Destroyed all of his hopes and all of his dreams. How could he possibly recover from this? His whole life, he would be forever, he would be forever looked down upon. He would be forever mocked. He would be forever ostracized. What, what is a man to do? You know, we read the Bible sometimes and we think, oh, you know, those are people that are not like us. They live so many years, thousands of years from us. And, and you know, when you're reading the Bible, not only do you feel that distance from the people, but you also, you have the whole story. We have the whole story. We know how it worked out. But the people of the Bible, as they're living life, they're learning their story in the moment, just like you do. And so you receive the text message and you receive the phone call and you receive the news and you receive the letter and you received it in the moment and it's wrecked you. And you're asking why. Those aren't bad questions to ask. God is not threatened by the questions that you ask of him. He doesn't condemn you or judge you. But I want to add to you today, of all the questions that you ask, I want to add a question to you that I can't answer because the Bible clearly answers it. Of all the what and the who and the how questions in your life, and even the why questions, let me add one to your list that I want to ask and answer for us today, and that's this. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Why was Jesus born? Why did God the Father send his only begotten son to the earth to be wrapped up in humanity? Why? Let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, why, did, why was Jesus born? Why is the celebration of his birth so important? Number one, Jesus was born to seek out and save the lost. He was born for that. You know, many of you are in a career right now. Many of you are on a track in life where you could look back and go, man, I was born for this. And you're so confident. You, you have that grasp of what God's will. I know when I look at my life and what I'm doing right now, no doubt, 100%, I was born for this. It was a rough road to get here, but I was born for this. This is why I was put on the earth. Why was Jesus put on the earth? To seek and to save the lost. That's where we meet a guy in Luke chapter 19 by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very prominent, very wealthy man. His job, his career path, he was a tax collector. And being a tax collector as a Jewish man put him in a very difficult place. It made him both traitor and thief at the same time. He was a representative of the Roman government and was given the task to take taxes and distribute them back to the Roman government. But here's the thing. Tax collectors were given the freedom to take more than what was required and they could keep that for themselves. And he became a rich man ripping off his fellow men and fellow women families. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 19 in Luke, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
And so Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and great joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And they've grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And listen to what Jesus says. He said, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I can step back and say that Jesus came to seek and to save those of you that are lost. Whether you admit it or not. Those of you that have separated yourself from God through your own sinful behavior. Doesn't Jesus know he's a sinful man? Zacchaeus, yes. That's why he came. And notice in Zacchaeus' life, everything changes when he's invited into his home. Now, of course, Jesus invited himself, but he gives you the same invitation. You know, the Bible uses a lot of pictures, a lot of metaphors to describe how God relates to us, and one of them is Jesus, it says, standing at the door knocking. And you know what happens when somebody stands at the door and knocks? You answer it. Or you run and hide, but you really should answer it. You know, when instead of knocking, maybe today we could say, Jesus stands at the door and has pushed the ring doorbell. And what do you do? You check your phone right away to see who's at the door. And I would say, go answer it. You see, he came to seek and save you. But here's the problem. Very few people like to admit that they're lost. Very few people like to admit. They would rather continue on like, like, like the typical guy. Never wanting to admit he's lost. No, no, I know where I'm going. Like, dude, you're in the desert. No, I know where I'm going. No, I know. You know, Siri's going to take care of it. Not, not always. Just admit that you're lost and get back on track. Yeah. Being lost in your car is one thing, but being lost for your eternal life, that's something totally different. And it's just that resistance and that pressure to say, well, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I, I, hey, I know it's a hard thing to admit that you're wrong. To, to acknowledge sin in your life. I mean, some of you are already like, man, that pastor didn't take but 10 minutes to tell me I was a sinner. But you know, that's not any new information to you. And I certainly don't mean that you're the only sinner in the room, even if you feel like it. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not in any different position than you are when it comes to sin. Sin has wrecked my life too. But what makes me different than some of you is that I acknowledge that failure before him. You know, here's my problem. Here was my problem. Maybe it's yours. You know, when people were trying to talk to me about God and about my life, my response was, if somebody came to me, maybe I'm sitting in a church service like this, somebody said, you know, you're a sinner, everyone's a I would say, you know, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Like, you didn't have to convince me I was a bad person. I knew that I was bad. I knew that I had hurt people. I knew that I didn't care about, I knew, I didn't, you didn't have to convince me that I was bad, but my way out was this. I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Like, I'm bad, but I could always find someone that was worse than me. And that would kind of give me a little bit of peace. You know, I'm bad, that's all right, but like, it's all right. I'm, I'm not the worst guy on the planet. But see, God doesn't measure like that. God doesn't measure on a scale where compared to someone else, so at least you're not as bad as so-and-so. No, the Bible, God, he just makes it pretty clear. We have all been wrecked by sin. Or in another way of saying it, the Bible says we have all sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no other way to read that in the Bible than to include yourself. We're all included. And that it doesn't take much to convince you that what the Bible says is true when it comes to us and it says, the Bible, God says, the wages of sin is death. You know how you work and you get a wage? You expect it, you get an hourly wage, you, get a, you, you have a salary, whatever it might be, you know, on payday you're supposed to get it because you worked, you worked, you get your wages. Well, the wages of sin, when you work for sin, it's always the same. It's always the same payday. It will destroy your life. Now and for all of eternity. You see, Jesus was born to find you. Not that you were lost to God. Not that he didn't know where you were. But it was his aim to find guys like Zacchaeus and say, hey, bro, you need to come. I, I got to go to your house. There's life change coming for you. Pastor Ed Taylor answering the question, why Jesus was born. He was born to seek out and save the lost and so that we can be friends of God. That's good reason to celebrate this Christmas Day. And you're listening to Abounding Grace. You can hear our Christmas special again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, Merry Christmas to you and Marie. With all that we've been through this year with COVID-19, shutdowns and restrictions, also a tumultuous election, I was wondering if you'd send out a word of encouragement to that person who's thinking, well, this isn't a very Merry Christmas from my vantage point. Well, Larry, thank you very much. A Merry Christmas to you and your family, uh, to Matt and our friends at Genesis Productions, uh, the folks that put this together. Uh, thank you and Merry Christmas. We receive it from Marie and me and Josh and Katie. Thank you so much. And boy, what a year it's been. And I want to say very specifically, uh, this isn't a ver- for those that are li- listening, that you're thinking, man, this isn't a very Merry Christmas uh, from your vantage point, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's been such a hard year. I mean, it has been brutal. I don't even know a better word to describe it. It has been challenging, and it's been hard. It's been challenging and hard for me. It's been challenging and hard for you. But here's the thing. We can either sit around and feel sorry for ourselves and make ourselves the center of our existence or we can get our eyes back on the Lord. I can't tell you how many times this year I've had to do that. I've had a couple really good years uh, in the area of discouragement and depression where it, it hasn't taken root in a couple years. But this year, I have to say, there's been a couple of times where discouragement really and bordering on some serious depression really took root in my heart. And I wonder if it's been the same for you. But God has been faithful. And it didn't bring me to the place where, I mean, I probably was tempted uh, just to feel sorry for myself, but I don't want that in my life. I, I want to worship God. I want to trust Him in the good times and the bad. I want to take a year like this and say, yeah, you know, it's been hard, but I made the best of it in Jesus' name because He bought me with, the, with His blood. He loves me. And I was just thinking, I was on my way in to the office today, listening to our radio station here, Grace FM. Uh, and, and there was a brother on there describing life change and just serving the Lord. And as he was describing serving the Lord, it's almost like the Holy Spirit came and reminded me of who I was before I was born again, how I served this world, and I was all in, and I was a drunkard and a, and a sinner, a, just, I can't even think of enough words. It was bad, and I was all in, which got me in a lot of trouble. 
But then I was born again. God pursued me, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me, and now I get the chance to serve him all in. And it just ministered to my heart, not knowing this question will come up today, Larry, but it just ministered to my heart because it is a Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ has come. He died. He was born. He lived. He died, and he rose again and ascended into heaven, and he's promised to return again. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm in no way minimizing the pain that you're going through, and I'm sorry again. It's been a hard year for you. It's been a hard year for me. It's been a hard year for us. But the Lord is good, greatly to be praised. And if we can just get our eyes back on him, he'll meet us there. He'll encourage us. He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. So let's just say it together. Merry Christmas from my family to yours, from our church family to yours, from the Abounding Grace family, from the Grace FM family. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And we know that no matter good or bad, uh, easy or hard, It is a Merry Christmas because Jesus did what he said he would do, and he loves you very much. So God bless you guys, and Merry Christmas. Thanks for those thoughts, Pastor Ed. We hope you can join us Monday when Pastor Ed Taylor will return to his study of Daniel. We'll continue his series, Understanding the Times, next time we get together. This is amazing Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.